All right, welcome everyone to episode number two of the Horsepower Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jenna Smink, and I am joined by Steve Paulson. How's it going? And we have a very interesting guest with us today. I will let her introduce herself so I don't murder um, the sport that she represents, but her name is Claudia Schmidt, and I am super excited to talk to her about an event that I don't know anything about, and that is ski-during. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, ski-during. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So just to get started, Claudio, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, like where you live and um, where you grew up and how, how you are kind of involved in this sport. Yeah, so I was born in Michigan and we were only there until I was about 10 years old. Um, and from there, we moved out to Gallatin Gateway, Montana, and I've been out here ever since. Um, I have moved to Arizona a couple different times, but I've always came back. So Montana's just kind of my forever home now. Yeah. And, uh, so I started riding when I was four years old and that was back in Michigan. Uh, from there I've been barrel racing pretty much since I was four. I roped in high school, but I did not get into ski drawing until, um, about two years ago. So I have two of my own horses. I have Clyde, who's 15, and Zeke, who's five. We've had Clyde since I was, or since he was two years old. So I've had him for 13 years, and I've had Zeke for two years now. Um, yeah, and so those are those are my guys. Those are my guys who I ski door on, and uh, they're my go-tos. So very cool. So really quick, I just have to tell everyone a story about how I came to know you. Well, I guess we've never met in person. <laughs> I came to learn about you. Um, so if you guys follow me on social media, you know that I just did a big summer run barrel racing all throughout the western part of the U.S. this year. And I made it a really long way until my truck broke down in um, Montana. We were entered at Livingston. So we were like an hour outside of Livingston, Montana. And the water pump goes out in my truck. Like we are smoking on the side of the road. Totally broke down. Hard broke down. And this is on... Sunday before the 4th of July so everything is fixing to shut down for like the week and we're going to be stuck so I like get a ride from my trailer to the rodeo put my truck in the dealership they said that they could probably fix it the next day and so we get to this rodeo which is an hour and a half away from my truck um with with no way to leave so <laughs> I get done competing and of course like when there's all this chaos going on like your actual run never goes well my rain broke on the way home and a foot and a half of mud so it was just like a really crazy rodeo and my sister and I were traveling with what she was traveling with me when we get done we're like how are we going to get the horses in the trailer back to the truck because it's going to be done tomorrow we don't have a ride <laughs> so I put out um an SOS on Instagram and Claudia's mom saved the day she didn't know me from Adam she hadn't been following me very long she just volunteered to hook up to my truck and trailer or to my trailer and haul us three hours out of her way on literally the 4th of July. Like she didn't have anything better to do. But on the way we were and she was telling me about her daughter and how proud of you she was. And I looked you up on Instagram and I'm like, oh my goodness, this would be a perfect fit for this podcast. And Steve and I have been trying to get off the ground. We want to interview people in different facets. And this is like the craziest, coolest what I've ever even heard of. So that's that's my backstory on how I became a fan of Claudia. 
Um, but <laughs> getting back to you, so you, you live in Montana now, is that right? Yes, yep, I currently reside in Gallatin Gateway, Montana. Awesome, and are you going to school too, or? No, I went to college for about a year and then decided that I didn't know quite what degree I wanted to get. So I figured that maybe I'd go into some other jobs and kind of figure out where or into what I wanted to do with my life before I kept spending the money on school. So <laughs> that's awesome. that's kind of where I'm at with that. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, getting into this sport just a little bit, like big picture, pretend like I have no idea what it is. I totally don't. Steve, have you ever heard of this sport? No, I, I mean, kind of. I remember I definitely saw some cool, like, viral videos on Instagram, and, you know, I was a creep, and I actually tried some of my friend, short story, is in Colorado. We are like, oh, what are we going to do today? It's just a big circus, like, Belgium draft horse, and we actually just, like, got a wakeboarding rope and a wakeboard and hooked it up, and she was just pulling me around this, like, little park in her neighborhood, and so it was so hard, and her big old horse could, like, barely get out of a trot, so I was literally just, like, pushing myself but um no that's crazy but tell, tell us a little bit about like your horses and and like how long you've had them and kind of a little bit about them yeah so um I have the two horses Zeke and Clyde um they were literally just barrel horses Clyde I roped off of Clyde as well uh he I started riding him when I was like a freshman in high school and so I've been with him rodeoing for a long time, but when we ski George for the first time, I had never watched the sport. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't sure how to even do it, but I knew that Clyde was a really solid horse and you can pretty much do anything on him. So I figured I may as well give it a try. Um, and we did really well at our first ski drawing. And can you even, I did, can you even explain? explain it to us a little bit what because I'm still kind of lost on what what is there like rules in the event and like what it even means to have a good horse that does that kind of like what do you even do in it yeah so um ski drawing is so you have a horse a rider and a skier and you hook a rope up to the back of a, your saddle and then the skier hangs on to the end of the rope and then your horse will sprint down a horse track and the skier will ski through a ski course um, and the ski course is usually either to the left or to the right of the horse track and sometimes it's even, even on both sides of the horse track so oh, the skier dang. can actually go across the horse track yep from either side um, but they have just like uh, downhill ski racing they have to go around um the ski um like flags almost there's mm -hmm. little posts they have to go around them um and so i guess they're called gates so if they miss one of the gates <laughs> though you add five seconds to your run gotcha so gotcha. yeah so it's very important um that you communicate with your skier because if there's points in the course where say the gates are really tight and they're going to have a harder time getting through them you're going to have to slow your horse down so that they're able to maneuver through those gates and you don't get penalties so the horse interesting is it even like sorry the horse and the rider have to get through the gate or can you sling the 
the person on the skis like out and just the skier go through the gate? Yeah, so it's just the skiers that go through the gate. So the horse track, the horse track is a separate deal. However, on our horse tracks, they have straight tracks, we have U-shaped tracks, and we have J-hook tracks. So depending on those tracks, um, like on straight tracks, the skiers usually have 30-foot ropes. They can only have 30 foot ropes, but on a curved track, the skiers can have 50 foot ropes. And that's because they are on, like I said, their ski course is to the right of the horse track, typically. Like if it's, if it's a curved track, the ski course will be just to the right of it. And that's where the skiers will stay. But if you have a straight track, that's where you can have um, the ski track on either side of the horse track, if that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. And one, yeah, go yeah. across um, from the right and the left. So, one question too. I mean, even like a maybe a question, maybe a silly question, but I grew up like wakeboarding and skiing, inner tubing, and we have like thumbs up means faster, thumbs down means slower, and then that leads me into like your partner, the skier. Are you guys like full time partners where you travel around and like enter a year worth of events together, essentially like? as a team or is it kind of a draw or random or how does that how does that work and then how do you communicate from so far away or when you're going so fast right so um nope you can you keep the same skiers pretty much all year i mean you're able to switch if you want to but it's better if you keep that um those same skiers all throughout the winter because then you'll learn each other's skiing abilities your riding abilities um you know what they can make it through if they're faster through some parts or slower on others so it's really uh quite the relationship between horse rider and skier and that's why it's pretty crucial to keep the same skiers i i think um all year long because then you'll really get to know them and their abilities um when we so before we actually run the skiers are able to the skiers and the horses we're all able to go out on the track and walk it so then we can kind of look and see where we want to run um, for the horses. Like, so we pick lines that we want to run and that's where we want to try to keep our horses um, to try and either we can cut corners if we're able to, or if we need to stay closer to the ski track because the jump is bigger and the skiers need more rope. Um, so that's where we walk the course with the skiers and the skiers will look at their gates and they'll say, okay, the gates are really tight right here. I'm going to need you to slow down at this point so I can make it through here. And after that, you can speed back up. Or there's parts where if they don't have enough rope, you'll, they'll ask you to move closer to a jump. They say, hey, this jump, I'm not going to have quite enough rope. Can you move your horse to the right so it's right next to this jump um, so that they have enough rope to be able to make it over and not lose the rope? Okay, so it's pretty much just uh, pre-communication and not, we don't communicate much during the run just because it's so fast paced. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll look back every now and again, make sure they're still back there, make sure they're still doing well. Um, but other than that, it's hard to really talk <laughs> during the run, so. I bet. Okay, so what is the average length of a course? Like, is this a 15 second race or is it like a minute? Like, I just have no, no idea. Right, so um, the majority of the tracks, I would say, 
are between 15 and 20 seconds. So they're pretty, it's, it's pretty, and it just depends on the length of the track and also the shape of the track as well. Because when you have a curved track, you're not going to be able to run quite as fast as you would on a straight track. But the majority of the tracks that I ran in were between 15 and 20 seconds. So it's really fast. So question on the footing, because obviously that's pretty important in every horse discipline. Is it right. is it pretty packed snow or is it like is there two like is there two different surfaces, one for the skier and then one that the horse is running on, or how does that work? Yes, so there are two different um so for the horse track we have six to eight inches of compacted snow. So they go over it with the groomer. They make sure um, to get all the air out from in between all the snow. So it's really compacted and tight in there to where when your horse is running on it, they won't punch through it. Um, the ski course, however, is usually up higher than the horse course. So the horse course is, like I said, the six to eight inches. And then depending on what they're having the skiers do, because they'll have the skiers um, they'll make bank turns or they'll make big jumps, like eight foot jumps, um, or they have it kind of like rollers. They'll do rollers sometimes as well. So the ski course has a lot more snow on it than the horse course does. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess I had a couple, I have so many questions, but have you ever wanted to be a person <laughs> skiing and then also do the skiers also ride horses? So they kind of understand what you're having to deal with or can like give you an educated suggestion or do they just, they're just skiers and they just want you to pull them? It's pretty much just skiers and just riders. So it's really funny the atmosphere at all the ski drawings because I mean, it's such different culture between the two sports. So it's funny having everyone come together and, but we all get along so well. Um, but no, usually, We've been talking about having a ski drawing race where we do a switch because I think it would be pretty funny to have, you know, the horse riders on the skis and then the skiers on the horses, um, which I think would be super fun. But no, for the majority of the time, I don't actually, I don't think I've ever seen someone ski and ride a horse. So it's pretty, it's pretty separated in that manner um, between the skiers and the horse riders. And what kind of horses do you guys like best look for? Like what would be like, I'm going to go out and buy a, one of these horses. What, what would be like the qualities of, of a horse? Yeah. So the majority of them are quarter horses. Um, but there's a lot of people that like to try out thoroughbreds as well. So they'll go and they'll buy off the track thoroughbreds. And so it's essentially kind of the same thing, you know, a racehorse um, running on, the racehorse tracks or a racehorse running on these ski drawing tracks because speed is definitely very important in this sport. Um, but I, I would prefer a quarter horse just for um, the muscle mass that a quarter horse has because sometimes when the snow does get soft and they have to run through deeper snow, um, having that muscle mass on them really helps them just to break through all of it and get to the end of that course. Whereas uh, sometimes when these thoroughbreds run, they're just real, have, you know, skinny legs and mm -hmm. real narrow. And sometimes they just can't muscle through that snow as well. 
yeah, just a little more petite. So um, that kind of reminds right. me of the similarity between, you know, quarter horses and thoroughbreds yeah. and barrel races and just how they're handling the ground. So uh, when you right. are in those courses, does the ground make a difference if it's super hard or if it is kind of soft? And how do, how do they deal with that? Do they work it at all or do, will they repack it or do they make fake snow? Like I know sometimes when I go snowboarding, like they'll have the snow machines out and, and that has just a different texture and consistency than real snow. Like if you are at an advanced level, that matters. I'm, I'm personally not, but possibly in this sport, that might be a big deal. Yeah, so we have had um, different events where the snow has gotten really soft just because the sun was out during the day and it melts it and it just makes it more soft. And sometimes like if it does get really bad, they'll try to go back through and um, compact it down a little bit more. But it's really hard when you have soft snow to even drive a big machine on there to compact it because it ends up putting ruts in there. Um, so it's pretty much sometimes just luck of the draw when you're running. Because um, sometimes there's just really not much you can do for it. Yep, that makes Interesting. sense. Interesting. Oh, and then are there any like fun rules or like interesting rules on in the sport, like of of little tendencies that like people would know about by watching it? You know, there's really not too many rules. <laughs> it's uh. Um, you're required to wear a helmet if you're a skier or a snowboarder. Um, they, at most of the ski drawings, they do not allow you to use a handle. Actually, I think almost none of them allow you to use a handle on the end of your rope. Um, a lot of them allow you to put a knot at the end of your rope. Um, but there are some that require you to even not have the knot at the end of the rope. So for the skiers, say if they slide back all the way on the rope, at least they have that knot back there that they can still hang on to the rope instead of it sliding all the way through their hands. Interesting. Um, so yeah. so really, yeah. really just to go as fast as you can through the gate and then fastest time score wins. And it's as, as kind of simple ruled as that, that you just want to, and then each flag is an additional five points or five seconds. Yeah, so if you, yep, if you miss a uh, gate, that's plus five seconds. But yeah, pretty much it's just go down there, try to get a fast time, try to have a clean run. Awesome. Very cool. So I'm curious what associations you compete in. And um, if you're just starting out, is there like an amateur level? And then what is like the epitome of the sport? Like what are, what are some of the bigger events that you could compete in? Yeah, so I'm in the Ski Drawing America Association, um, and there are different levels for classes. So you have your novice class, which is your beginner class. Um, then it bumps up to sport, which is the intermediate class, and then they have open, and open is the pro division, and that's the division that I compete in. Um, so it's really easy, honestly, to get into the sport. It's is easy as showing up. So, and, and that's exactly what I did when I did my first ski drawing. I had a coworker that told me about it. Um, he had heard it also through a friend and he knew that I rodeoed and I had fast horses and he's like, hey, you should 
just come and you should enter me in this. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. I don't know even how to do it. And um, I just showed up and I watched a couple people go before me. And then I just went out there and did it. And um, I think the most important thing you could know about it is if you have control over your horse and you and your horse have a good bond and a good understanding of, of each other and you know how to maneuver your horse and your horse has different cues, um, you know, to slow it down or move it over. Um, that's really where you're going to succeed. So it's, it's a pretty big horsemanship sport, um, knowing your horse, knowing how to maneuver it, especially in such a pa or fast pace. Um, you have to be able to have a horse that's going to listen to you. Um, but there's so many people there and everybody's willing to help you all the time. There's not, if you have a question, nobody's going to turn you down or shy away from you. Everyone's there to help. You know, we'd love to get more people involved in the sport. We'd like to get it more well known. So um, it's truly as simple as just showing up. And um, they have uh, races all over Montana. They have some in Idaho. I went down to Colorado and I ran there. Um, but most of them are fairly the same as um, I think like there was one down in Sheridan, Wyoming. Um, that one was pretty big. That was fun because we got to run down Main Street. Um, oh, that's the amazing. one in Colorado was pretty big. Yeah, that one had a lot of added money in it. Um, the Big Sky Race was a lot of fun just because the course for it was a lot of fun. Uh, so that's just every race is different and it has its own pluses and minuses to going to it but they're all I mean all the same people all you know a fun crowd to be with and it's always a really great time so interesting so like speaking of like money so it seems like it's a bit similar to the barrel racing and then in that sense like what what are some of like the big accomplishments that you've had within within the sport yeah, so um, my biggest accomplishment is winning the national title this year, um, which I was just so blessed and lucky to do. Um, and then I've had a couple of other races that I was able to win. And so that's uh, like the national finals. I won the finals and that was in Red Lodge, Montana. I run, or won Rebecca Farms, which was in Kalispell, Montana. I won the whitefish race which was in whitefish montana <laughs> and then they also did points for different regions and so i ended up winning the ocean or open spaces regional championship and the glacier Re or regional championship for open riders so um yeah those are kind of the, my big spotlight advantage or um accomplishments that's amazing uh, yeah and, yeah and, and is the the vet at rebecca farm is that where there's the big eventing course as well yes yes it is yeah and uh yeah they have just uh big skills and they were able to do it so it's pretty neat kind of going to a uh facility that works with such a different type of um different type of horses and just a different sport you know with the English riding style um so it's kind of neat to be able to go there and meet some people that you know do the eventing versus kind of what we do which is more of like a western style riding 
Um, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly the one, the one up in California, Montana. <laughs> so I had a question. Um, is this something yeah. that you can do full time as like a pro athlete or are these mostly events on the weekend? And then also it, you do require snow. So for the most part, it's just a winter event. Um, about how many, how many events can you go to in a year? How many did you go to when you won the national championship? Um, so it, it is a weekend deal. So it's every single weekend. Um, and then it lasts for about three months. So we went from, um, the end of December till about, um, the end of March. And that was, so that was our season, but they have a race every single weekend. Um, from the end of December to the end of March. Um, and so I, I went to the Lincoln race was the first one that, or I'm sorry, the Colorado race was the first one I went to. Um, and from there, I went to every single, every single weekend I was gone until the um, national finals down in Red Lodge. So for those three months, I was gone every single weekend to be drawing. Okay, so question because I know you're a barrel racer. So do you still barrel yeah. race at the same time, or or is this your main focus? And then are the horses that you're using um, for ski during? Do you also use them for barrel racing? Are they able to be that versatile? Yeah. So um, over the winter, ski during is my main focus for sure. Um, so I don't barrel race. Before I did ski during, I would barrel race over the winter. Um, however, now it's just it's just focused on ski drawing um and they are actually the same horses that I use for barrel racing so, so cool. um like I said yeah I mean just having a horse that um you know you have that bond with and and they listen to your cues and you have that horsemanship with is just so crucial I think in any sport or any equine activity that you do um so they've been really really great I mean my five-year-old has just really come into himself and stepped up his game and he's been phenomenal and my 15 year old like he's just always my go-to for anything I want to do I can pull him out of the pen and enter him in anything and he'll give his heart out to me so it's pretty awesome having those athletes interesting and then that's kind of like the barrel racers and western stuff it what is like your day job or do you have a day job or is it more training horses and then you are able just to get away on the weekends for long enough to go out and actually compete yeah so um I just had a part-time job over this winter and honestly I didn't even really need to have a part-time or part-time job over the winter ski drawing um the winnings from my ski drawing season were more than enough um to be able to live off of it uh which is pretty amazing to have a sport you know that, that you can is go so and amazing do that. Yeah, so, um, and that's kind of the plan, just, you know, it's always great to have something to fall back on just in case, you know, you have a rough couple of weekends or something like that. Um, however, uh, if you keep them strong and, and you keep going on them, there's certainly no, you don't have to have another job, I guess, essentially. So what are some of the bigger events paying out, like in rodeo, like, there's anything from a thousand dollars to twenty thousand, or the huge invitationals like hundred thousand. So where does ski range? 
Yeah, so um, I would say the biggest payout would be down in Ridgeway, Colorado. They have about $20,000 added um, that they give away. And yeah, so this year, um, when I first entered, I entered in the sport division um, just because I didn't know how I was going to compete or where I was level-wise. And um, man, I wish I would have entered in the open division because I know one of the skiers who ended up, um, when I was down there, I asked him and the other skier who made the most money um did the best down there that's where i asked them if they would ski for me back up in montana but my one skier walked away with seven thousand dollars that weekend um so and then on a normal weekend i would say you can walk away with 15 to 20 or i'm sorry 15 to two thousand dollars every single weekend um but do you I mean it's you definitely win more than you're paying out but it also is pretty expensive <laughs> to uh it's like getting travel down the road and yeah and take care of your horses and the entry fees are can be fairly expensive but it's definitely so rewarding and so worth it to even you know you'll always come out making more than you're spending so Awesome. And uh, kind of a, a question too, like my, my background being like dressage, jumping, liberty, our whole life is like in lessons. Like I still take a weekly lesson. I'm still like trying to be better and learn. Is it the yeah. same thing for you guys? Like are there coaches or are there even people that just watch you at the meets and kind of give you tips and pointers on, on what to do better? Nope, you are all on your own. <laughs> oh man. So <laughs> just like barrel um, racing. But, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you have your peers there and like I said, like it's just a great group of people. Everyone's willing to help everyone out, you know, if they see something that um could essentially help you down the road, like they'll come up to you and they'll help you out in that way. So we all just kind of help each other out, um, you know, especially with how dangerous the sport can be. Um, it's something where all the horse riders get together and we kind of talk about the track before we run it. Like if we notice any slick spots or any spots that we want to avoid, um, we're all very vocal about that because, again, we don't want any injuries and it is it can be a pretty dangerous sport. So um, we're really great at communicating about that. That's an awesome culture to have. It's like, I feel like it's like that in barrel racing a little bit, but for the most part, it's pretty cutthroat. <laughs> um, but just <Right. laughs> talking a little bit about the dangers of the sport, are there certain things you can do? Like somebody on Instagram wanted to know if there were spikes in the horse's shoes or how do you get them ready for competing in such cold weather conditions? Because I know you have other considerations too, like um just the effects that cold weather can have like on their lungs or like when they get super sweaty so talk a little bit about that yeah so um we do put special shoes on our horses um we you can put ice nails in them or i like to put borium on my shoes so borium is just a metal that um you melt onto the shoe itself and it actually uh when it reacts with snow and ice it'll it'll melt it um so you put like one piece on the toe and then two on the heels um yeah. and so that's like that's your biggest traction it's like a um kind of hard to explain because they're not quite like cleats but it's it would be um 
essentially kind of like a glob of metal coming on, you know, on the bottom of the shoe. Mm -hmm. So they can really still grab with it. Um, and it helps big time on ice. Like you can take your horse when you have those Borium shoes on them and you can trot them down ice and they won't slip one bit. So those are huge in ski drawing just because, you know, the ground, if, like I said, if the snow melts um, and then it freezes, then you have ice patches and you don't want to be running on ice patches, especially not with like inventor shoes or <laughs> anything like that. So you definitely want um, some sort of either ice nails on there or you want to have that borium on your shoe. Um, and then as far as running them in cold weather, uh, it just kind of depends. So we have a cutoff and it's usually around like negative five to negative 10 we won't run. Oh my gosh. Um, and yeah, so I think there was only one race this year where we ran in the negatives um, and it was like negative two or negative three, but every single ski drawing race has a vet on site. So they have a vet and an ambulance on site at every single race. And, um, you know, when the temperatures get to be about that, we will go and we'll ask the veterinarian, we'll say, hey, do you think this is safe for our horses to be running in this? You know, is this something to where we should call it? Because, you know, we don't want, again, you know, these horses are everything. And uh, so we want to make sure they stay safe as well. But we definitely, uh, wear a lot of layers and you do not blanket your horses is that correct um well I did I definitely did blanket them over the winter just because so I actually kept a back on track blanket okay on them at all times and then kept their winter blanket over top of that just because um ski drawing is actually uh, I think harder on your horse than barrel racing was, which was a real surprise to me because I didn't think, you know, you think about Peter, yeah. you're just kind of running down a track. I'm However, sure the ground is so hard that makes a huge difference. It is, yeah, it does make a huge difference. And not to mention, you're running full tilt the entire time, right. whereas barrel racing, you know, they slow down to go around the barrel. So they kind of, it's, it's just, it's different. And not to mention, so I run each horse twice a day um so I can run four times in one day so I'll run eight times in the weekend oh wow okay. um but yeah yeah so I was uh I was definitely that was one of the big things that I learned over this season just like how much um you know stress it can cause on your horse and so I was just really trying hard to you know keep um their muscles relaxed and stuff you know you'd get them pulse treated you'd get them chiropractic um you'd have like vet checks every now and again just make sure everything's still good um you know you try to grain them a lot so they keep weight on them and then you know if they're real sweaty you put the cooler on them and then put the blanket over that and you just try to you know make them as comfortable and keep them as dry as you can and you make sure you walk them out and um so it's just you know watching them and knowing what they need and caring for them as they need that um so just there's there's a series of different things that you can kind of do but um I think the back on track honestly was my biggest favor of this year that I learned so <laughs> I'll definitely that, keep doing that from the years going on so that is crazy how cold it is I'm 
in Santa Barbara, California right now, and I there's like a little ocean breeze, and I'm so cold just thinking about <laughs> the negatives. I don't think I've ever even been in negative degree weather, let alone negative. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I would. I think I, my horses would literally come crying back to California in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that kind of leads me to like, what about the conditioning of your horses? And do you find that it actually makes your horses fitter for the barrel racing? Would you say? Um, I would. So, I mean, just being able to have them going year round, that's going to keep them, in sh you know, in shape year round. So a lot of people, you know, when they just pull their horses out from winter pasture, it takes, you know, a couple of weeks to even get them back up to where they're starting to not have to breathe as hard after their runs, you know, and kind of start to get back up to the conditioning. But um, I think with any where they have to um you know take that much or have that much air intake especially when they're you know running full out um it's just going to condition their lungs to be able to take more air and then when it's harder you know when the cold or the air is colder it's harder to breathe in and and so then kind of i would i would um almost compare it to different being in different altitudes so, you know, when you're closer to sea level, it's going to be easier to breathe than it would be if you were climbing a mountain, essentially. So um, that's where I would think, you know, over the winter, you, it would be like you climbing the mountain. However, the more times you climb a mountain, the easier it gets. And then, but if you go back down to sea level, then you pretty much think you can run around the world five times because it's so easy. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, are pre-run routines similar at all to like a barrel racing warm-up? Because like I know when whenever I'm warming up, like I'm trying to make sure they're soft and like moving their rib cage and everything. But like in this event, there isn't as much turning, so maybe you don't necessarily need a similar warm-up. I'm just curious how you get your horse ready. Yeah. So honestly, it is. Uh, semi a similar warm-up because I want to make sure my horse stays responsive to all of my cues and that they're listening to me because a lot of these horses when they get out here and they start running on these ski drawing tracks they almost just kind of lose their mind because then they think you know all their job is to do is to run and so and that's where like you have to keep them soft and you have to keep them listening and you have to keep moving them around so that they don't lose you know, all of that, and they understand that they still have to do, um, you know, all those different maneuvers and listen to your cues, and they're not just there to run. Um, it's when you get those horses that just get too hot, and then they think, you know, all they have to do is run. Um, that's when you have the gate problems with them, where they won't stand still in the gate to be able to hook your rope up. Um, or they're dancing around all the time, or, you know, even occasionally we have horses that they don't stop after they go past the finish line and these people are, are trying to slow their horses down. And, and so that's where, like, I really make sure that my horses are, they're soft, they're listening. I can move them over. I can slow them down. I can speed them up. Um, and I think that's really crucial when you're actually running too, because those are all different things that you have to be able to do during your ski drawing run to help your skiers out um and if you don't have that with your horse and you don't have the communication with your skier you're probably not going to do very well <laughs> so right. that is uh it's a pretty major 
uh, major things to be able to do is, is keep your horse soft and keep them listening and, uh, and be able to control them. So talking about like having that control, I know everybody in the barrel racing world has a preference on bits. Um, I'm curious what you use and then do you have split reins or roping reins and then are you wrapping their legs um, with split boots and bell boots like a barrel racer would or what are some of the tack differences? Um, I honestly didn't have too many tack differences uh, between my barrel racing and and ski drawing um the so but with ski drawing like i run in a roping saddle not in my barrel saddle um but for as far as my bits go like i have Clyde in a short shank dog bone and then i have zeke in a long shank dog bone and that's it um and so yeah, and uh, there's different races where maybe if you need your horse to rate down a little bit more, you might throw a bigger bit in them. Or um, so the and also depending on the tracks, like if it's a straight track and you don't really have to do any of that, you might be able to just throw a snapple in them. But I pretty much just kept my horses in the same bit um, all year long, just because that's what they're used to. That's what they know. That's what they respond to me in. Um, and then as far as having leg boots and whatnot, we definitely, um, I, I for sure put leg boots, you know, I have a or iconoclast leg boots all the way around. And then I actually have bell boots on all four of their feet as well. Oh, okay. Um, just yeah, if the snow, if they slip in the snow or something like that, but just mm-hmm. specifically for the fact that they do have that boreum on their shoes, so say if they slip and they hit their foot to one of their legs, you know, now they have that big chunk of metal on there and that's going to really damage something if you don't have that protective layer on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. And so how does one get involved? Like say I want to try, obviously, probably not in California. I guess maybe in California up in the mountains, <laughs> but how does, how does someone even find out like where they do it or, or how, how to try it out? Yeah, so um, you can just hop on to like skidrawingamerica.com um, and they'll have all of the races lined out for the year. But honestly, the best way to go and do it is just to enter up and go and do it. So, <laughs> um, even, I mean, it's just, it's A, it's a lot of fun. You'll always have fun. Um, B, like you, if you enter in the novice class, everyone there is just beginners and and some people are just they know they're not very good skiers so they're literally there just to have a good time (laughs) and so um it's just one of those things where once you jump in kind of get your feet wet you'll learn along the way um and and then it becomes pretty easy but it's hard to know exactly what to do until you do it because even just feeling how your horse works on the ground um, or even how the ski courses are set up for the skiers, you're not going to really know until you actually enter up and, and go through. Yeah, that makes sense. So just get out there and like go for it, and you always learn along yeah. the way. But um, right. I am so glad that we, had to ha- that we got to have you on the podcast today. I learned a ton, and I am going to be following you across social media so that I can continue to learn more. Um, I would definitely love to enter one of these events in the future, just to say that I did, because I I love doing stuff like that. 
But Claudia, before we wrap, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our viewers and then also let them know what your handle is on social media so we can all follow? Um, I would say, you know, come on down, come watch some ski drawing races. If anyone wants to come up and chat with me personally, uh, I'd be more than happy to chat with them about ski drawing or anything that they want to know. Um, I am on Instagram at Claudia Schmidt 11. Um, and yeah, you can follow through. I usually post all my results at every single race on Instagram. So if you want to follow along, um, I post videos too. So if you want to even just see what it looks like, because it's hard to explain until you really see it as well. Um, but yeah, I have, uh, I have a lot of, you know, um, different, different pictures you can look at. And again, if anybody wants to chat about it, I'm always open to talk. So go ahead and feel free to get a hold of me. And I hope to see people out at the ski drawing. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, yeah, this concludes our uh, second episode of the Horsepower Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.